MMA is just great, isn't it? Your favorite fighter in the world might be riding a record long win streak, dominating everyone in the division, and then before you know it, they're on a three fight slide and joining the roster at Eagle MMA. And you know what? It's always the ones you didn't see coming that hurt the most. The higher the star, the greater the fall. And although any fighter can have an off night, when it turns into an entire year, then several, you know, there's something going wrong. I'm Bailey and from MMA On Point, and this is the 10 most surprising losing streaks. Number 10. Anthony Pettis Showtime's career has truly been a mix of high and lows. He ended his time in the WEC perfectly, taking the belt from his contemporary and rival Benson Henderson and landing his crouching tiger hidden Showtime kick in the process. But on his arrival to the UFC, instead of fighting the current champion, Edgar and Maynard had gone to a draw, so they had to run it back. He took a fight against Clay Guida, who introduced him to the elite levels of wrestling in the UFC. It was a bit of a curveball, but Anthony proved he was still world champion material as he dusted off Jeremy Stevens, Joe Lozon, and Donald Cerrone to build up another shot at the title. And it would be against Benson Henderson, who after three Three years of build-up he made quick work of in the first round. Now finally it felt as if history had corrected itself, we all expected Pettis to be a champion and a major star coming out of the WEC. He had charisma, a show-stopping style, and was young enough to exert a dominant reign over the division. I mean he got his picture on a Wheaties box, which is apparently something reserved for only major league stars, and it seemed we were on the cusp of a crossover athlete, but out of nowhere came Rafael dos Anjos, who did to Pettis what he'd been doing to the entire division, smashed him basically, getting 15 minutes of control time across the championship contest. Pettis had claimed and lost the title he'd been waiting so long for in less than a year, and unfortunately, things didn't get better from here. He was a stepping stone for Eddie Alvarez to claim his own title shot right after, and then lost a striker v striker matchup against Edson Barbosa, which set him back not only to three losses, but in the fans' eyes as well. From future star to free fight skid in the space of two years is really not what most of us expected when Showtime finally got his hands on the title, especially after his picturesque performance in capturing it. Number 9. Tyron Woodley the Chosen One joined the UFC roster along with a handful of other fighters from Strikeforce. Unlike many, he was not a former champion and his last fight in the promotion had actually been for the title against Nate Marquardt, where he was TKO'd. So when he joined the UFC roster, he had nothing but a long, open road in front of him and it was going to take a few wins to get into title contention. He went 3 for 2 in his first two years, dropping losses to Jake Shields and Rory McDonald, but scoring emphatic KOs over Heron and Koscheck in the process. This gave him enough momentum to keep his name in the contenders list and after a first round KO of Dong Hyun Kim and victory over surgeon Kelvin Gastelum positioned him for a title shot. Then 18 months after his last fight, he met former training partner Robbie Lawler at UFC 201. He produced another first round KO and captured the belt. What's more impressive were his four title defenses after this. Granted, one was a draw to Wonderboy, but he beat back each top contender one at a time, systematically going through the division and somehow avoiding any notion of money fights, apart from when he called out GSP. I want to fight George, man. Darren Till had kicked up a storm coming through the rankings and was undefeated at 17-0, but Tyron put on a masterful performance and dispatched him in round one perfectly and in the process silenced a lot of fans who had still really yet to accept him as champion but after a win like that there could be no doubt woodley was the real deal he was here to stay or was he because just like that he went from champion to one of the worst skids in ufc history dropping his next 15 rounds of fighting across three contests where he was barely able to muster any offense whatsoever now granted he faced absolute killers in usman burns and covington but it was a dramatic fall from grace he went out on his shield against Vicente Luque, promptly departed the promotion and has yet to win since. Number 8. Johnny Hendricks 
For the longest time, big rig Johnny Hendricks was banging, no, slamming his fist on the door for a title shot opportunity. The former NCAA Division I wrestler had seemingly been given the gift of knockout power for Christmas one year, and he started dropping welterweight contenders like flies, KOing John Fitch in 12 seconds, Martin Campman in 36 seconds, and TJ Waldberger in just over two minutes. After winning six straight in the welterweight division, he was given his shot at George St. Pierre, where he pushed the champion pretty much further than anyone ever has, but it apparently wasn't enough in the judges' eyes to get the nod. He did enough to make GSP retire apparently and won the vacant strap from Robbie Lawler and after three years of starching welterweights was finally the champion. But the Lawler matchup had been close. Robbie lost to Big Rig in March of 2014. In May, he TKO'd Jake Ellenberger. By July, decision Matt Brown and come December was ready to fight for the title again as Hendricks had only just recovered from a torn bicep. In the rematch, things looked pretty much the same until the fifth round where War Lawler came out and he stole the title from Hendricks. Johnny returned the following year and beat Matt Brown but was completely completely annihilated by up-and-coming challenger Wonderboy Thompson, who wasn't even ranked in the top five. And from here, it all started to fall apart. He would miss weight in his next two matchups at 170, losing to both Kelvin Gastelum and Neil Magny, looking like a shade of his former self. He bounced back against Lombard, adding to his own three-fight losing streak, and after a jump up to middleweight, would lose twice more and retire from the sport. From arguably beating the greatest of all time to completely falling off the wagon entirely, he achieved his dreams in capturing UFC gold, but it seemed to take everything he had left to do so. He's now servicing his community as a police officer. Number 7. Tito Ortiz Believe it or not, Tito Ortiz used to be the shit. From 2000 to 2002, he picked up six wins in the octagon, starting with his title-winning performance over Vanderlei Silva for Frank Shamrock's vacant belt at UFC 25, and then he defended the thing five times, including wins over Evan Tanner, Vladimir Matyshenko, and Ken Shamrock. Frank had been declared the greatest of all time, and his departure had been surprising, but Tito had filled the void, become a pay-per-view star, and now had five title defenses to his name, more than any other champion. He lost his belt to the returning Randy Couture, and then the grudge match to Chuck, but this wasn't the start of his losing streak, in fact far from it. He bounced back with another five fights in a row including Vitor Belfort, Forrest Griffin and uh, Ken Shamrock again. This earned him another shot at gold at the end of 2006 but once again against rival Chuck Liddell was stopped late in the third round. Still he had the most title defenses ever, was 10 and 3 having only lost to the elite of the division but unfortunately it all started to fall apart. Over the next six years he would win only one time, first a four fight losing streak broken only by an incredibly surprising performance and win over the surging Ryan Beta, but straight afterwards he dropped another three in a row, giving him just one victory in his last nine bouts. Tito was certainly no longer in his prime, but he had just come back from defeat against Chuck and built a five-fight winning streak after he was beaten again by the Iceman. Fans weren't sure what to expect, but certainly no one could have predicted the slide he would find himself on. Granted, it's important to remember that he sustained multiple injuries across his career, including to his neck and back, but it was still a shocking fall from grace, especially from one of the greatest champions of his era. Number six, Mark Coleman. At one point in time, Mark Coleman was bigger than your school bus, quite possibly on a diet of horse meat, and after beating Dan Severn at UFC 12, was the undefeated and first UFC heavyweight champion of the world. Some of you may not have seen him fight, but you can get the idea just by looking at him. At a time in the sport where bigger was better, Coleman was the king of sitting on top of you and trying to paint the canvas a bloody crimson with your own bodily fluids. He was a wrecking ball of pain and destruction, stood undefeated at 6-0, and it honestly looked like no one on the planet was going to be able to stop him. But five months after, 
after he won his UFC title, he defended it against kickboxer Marie Smith and things all went to plan. He got the takedown in 20 seconds and began using them pro old school UFC tactics. Mainly headbutts, I'm not gonna lie. Then after spending 9 minutes on the canvas, Smith finally found a way out while the exhausted Coleman could barely stand up. This grueling affair continued for 21 minutes and when the decision was read, there was a new heavyweight champion. Unbelievable. But surely it was a fluke Coleman gassed. It wasn't gonna happen again. Well, in another fight that went longer than 10 minutes, Pete Williams managed to weather the storm and land a heat seeker of a head kick to switch off the lights and right after that, Pedro Hizo dragged his next contest into deep waters, outworking Coleman and handing him his third straight loss in a row. It was shocking to say the least. What fans had thought would be a dominant undefeated champion had lost three fights in a row. From here he went to Pride where he would lose again, making it four, but he would shock the world once more as he won the legendary 2000 Openweight Grand Prix, reclaiming his title of baddest man on the planet. Number five, Henan Barrow. Who remembers this? Showdown Joe was in yesterday. He thinks the number one pound for pound is John Jones. And I, I think it's Hannon Barrow. Boy, did that age well. Granted, at the time Dana made this statement, we were most definitely witnessing greatness. Barrow lost his pro debut, decided that was enough for him, proceeded to win his next 31 fights. Yeah, the man was undefeated for damn near 10 years, having fought mostly in Brazil, a bit in the WEC, but upon his arrival in the UFC, absolutely tore through the division. Having arrived in the WEC late, not many US fans really knew much about Barrow, Faber and Cruz who've been doing the ultimate fighter and for the most part the new UFC bantamweight division was all about the alumni from the WEC. But after a fight of the night win over Brad Pickett at UFC 138, fans began to take notice. After a fantastic season 15 of tough, Cruz had to pull out of his title fight with Faber due to injury and so Uriah met the Baron at UFC 145 where he won a decision and the interim title. Then went on to defend the interim belt twice. Yes, I know, the UFC have done that before as well. In fact, actually in this case it made sense as Cruz was still injured and when it appeared he wasn't coming back, they booked Faber and Barrow once again, this time for the actual bantamweight title, which Hennan happily claimed. Now 31-1, and undefeated in 10 years, 30-fight winning streak, he was declared by Dana to be the pound-for-pound greatest fighter on the planet. Cue maniacal laughter from the MMA gods. Three months later, he faced an endlessly energetic TJ Dillashaw and lost his title, bounced back against Mitch Gagnon, but then lost the rematch in even more devastating fashion. It was clear TJ was the new king of the division. Hennan had had two shots and TJ proved the better man, but that doesn't mean the Baron's era was over, right? Well, across the next three years, he would only win one contest against Felipe Nova and lose six of his UFC bouts, five in a row at the end where he went up a weight class but seemingly couldn't find his form of old. At one time, he had looked literally unstoppable, crazy unpredictability, insane power and finishing instinct. It was like getting in a cage with Nosferatu, but surprisingly, once he lost the belt, his career slowly started to fall apart and he went from beating the best in the world to losing to unranked fighters. Number four, Tony Ferguson. El Kukui really was the people's champion. His campaign for a title shot consisted of nothing but hard-fought, hard-earned performances and finishes over the biggest and best names in the sport, fighting everyone the UFC put in front of him, content to let his body of work speak for itself and earn him his opportunities. For six years, he went undefeated in quite possibly the most competitive UFC division as he beat a who's who of the UFC lightweight roster, racking up a 12-fight winning streak, yet only fighting for a title once, and even that was the interim one. Granted, he had his fair share of bad luck when it came to booking bouts, especially against Habib, but fans certainly felt if the UFC wouldn't put him at the top of the division, then they'd do it themselves, calling Tony the scariest fighter in the division, champ shit only. But after six years of wars, his battle with Justin Gaethje at 2.49 for another interim strap would prove too much, as he was beaten across five rounds until the ref mercifully stopped the contest, it being clear Tony wasn't about to quit himself. It certainly wasn't pretty. The fight had sort of come together at the last moment in the midst of a pandemic, and Tony had done a double weight cut as a month earlier he was supposed to be fighting Habib, and after it was cancelled, decided to make weight anyway. Fans were still 
optimistic about his title chances about finally seeing Habib Ferguson, but they couldn't ignore how battle-worn he had looked by the end of the Gaethje contest. He would go on to lose his next two fights to complete Savages and Benil Dariush and future champion Charles Oliveira, but he also didn't look like himself, was unable to get any offense going, and was just run over in both fights. Perhaps he can still bounce back, but from 12 wins to a three-fight skid certainly was surprising. Number 3. Fedor Emelianenko Who's the greatest of all time? We'll ask an MMA fan pre-2010 and probably 95% of your answers would have been the last Emperor Fedor Emelianenko. Let's not forget he was at 1.31 in 1, essentially an undefeated Russian heavyweight knockout artist who had beaten a who's who of MMA contenders around the globe. Everyone expected him to join the UFC so we could really see where he stood on the pound for pound list, but he instead joined a fiction which fell through in a bit of a shit show, leaving him one choice. The UFC? No, the famed strike force, but a chance for Fedor to prove he's the greatest, to win a belt on another promotion, to compete in the US and further cement his legacy. Only no, none of that happened. Instead, we were all frankly pretty surprised at what went down, unless you're Dana White, apparently. After a successful debut against Brett Rogers, he was truly thrown to the Lions, and against BJJ ace Fabricio Verdum, he dropped him in 30 seconds, followed him to the ground, and tapped to a triangle. But hey, it was a submission, a quick contest. The win streak was over, but Fedor was still the greatest, right? Well, that became a little harder to believe after his next contest, where the Sasquatch Antonio Silva mounted him, dropped sledgehammers, and at the end of the second round, the doctor waved off the contest due to Fedor's eye completely closing. That was hard to bear, but it wasn't a finish until he met Dan Henderson in a chaotic matchup that saw the last Emperor put out for the first time. Three straight losses after 10 years of being unbeaten. It was without a doubt surprising, but his career bounced back as he continued to fight, but that losing streak became the downfall of an empire. Number 2. Cody Garbrandt the first four years of No Love's career follow a completely different trajectory to the last four. He made his pro debut in 2012, went 5-0 before joining the roster in 2015, then after four more wins in less than a year, received his title shot against the eight-year undefeated Dominic Cruz and put on quite literally one of the best single performances in MMA history to claim UFC gold. Now that's a crazy four years. He was the 10-0 undefeated bantamweight world champion, but his rivalry with TJ Dillashaw would prove to be his undoing. His desperation to land the killing blow saw him get TKO'd in their first contest contest, and then an immediate rematch saw pretty much the same result one year later. But things weren't over for Cody, he could still bounce back. But then he was caught again against Pedro Munoz, came back with a Hail Mary shot against Hafiawa Sunsao, and proceeded to lose his next two contests. And in those next four years, lost his belt, lost twice to his rival, and lost five of his six fights. This left him in a spiral that continued downward until we got here, four years after he won the title and on the verge of being cut from the promotion. It's not often we see such a quick rise to UFC champion, less than a year, let me remind you, but it's also not often we see such a dramatic fall. Cody still has time to try and figure out how to bounce back in his career, but after seeing what he's capable of, it was undoubtedly a surprise. Number 1. BJ Penn the Hawaiian legend has fallen so far off the tracks from where he once was that it's pretty hard for new fans to even appreciate his accolades. You almost had to live it to believe it at this stage, as BJ at one point looked like he was playing a completely different game to everyone else. After being the first American black belt to win a BJJ championship, we all expected great things, especially in the jiu-jitsu department, but it was his boxing acumen, takedown defense, and cardio combined that make him a true force of nature. His first UFC run saw him go 6-1, ending with him as the underdog beating the unstoppable Matt Hughes and winning the welterweight title. He returned to the UFC, lose to Hughes in the rematch and GSP at welterweight, but dropped down a weight class and won the vacant lightweight title, a division that he became the king of. This was when he started working with the Morenovich brothers, was in insane shape, and put a beating on challengers like Joe Stevenson, Diego Sanchez, and Kenny Florian. But Frankie Edgar appeared to lay claim to the division and beat BJ in back-to-back contests. He had one final grudge match with Hughes that he won in 20 seconds, and we hoped to see BJ return to form, but his time as the prodigy was over. Across the next seven years, he would fail on eight attempts to return to the winning contest, 
McCollum making several comebacks at different weight classes with new trainers who told us all how BJ of old was back. But he just wasn't. He stopped throwing offense and became a bit of a punching bag for the contenders of the division. Although it's admirable to continue to fight and believe in your ability to win no matter what, it certainly was both surprising and sad to see the greatest lightweight at the time slowly fade away. A big shout out to Luke Taylor for editing this video. You can find him and some of his amazing artwork on Twitter at cool2me underscore. Shout out to Ben Rosette and the excellent music he provided during the intro video. His music can be found on streaming platforms everywhere. There is a link in the description and follow him at Ben Rosette on Instagram and on Twitter. Thank you very much for watching everyone today. Please go ahead and like and subscribe if you did enjoy the content. We upload at least three videos every week for your viewing pleasure. Go ahead and leave a comment below if you want to join in the discussion and follow us on Twitter at MMA on Point and myself at Balian underscore plays. You can now jump in and join the community discord as well if you want to continue the discussion further and I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. I'll see you in the next one.